Welcome back to Sports Cube. I'm your host, Daniel Shalom, bringing you the latest in the sports world. And today we have a jam-packed episode for you. We had an interview with former Duke College player and now pro lacrosse player, CJ Costabile, who scored the game-winning goal against the Fighting Irish in the national championship to bring home Duke's first title. Additionally, we bring you this day in sports, some NFL offseason as Christian McCaffrey would re-sign with the Panthers, and we give you an update on the coronavirus. All this and much more coming up. Stay with us. Before this, let me tell you about Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are certain tools that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it could be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from your podcast as well with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app in the App Store or go to anchor.com to get started. And now some NFL news for you. One of the league's most proficient running backs last season in 2019, Christian McCaffrey, the Panthers running back, will get an extension on his contract. Christian McCaffrey has agreed to a new deal to become the highest paid running back in NFL history. The Panthers are signing their star back to a four-year $64 million extension, averaging $16 million a year, according to two sources with direct knowledge of the situation. Of course, this is all coming after they let their franchise QB, Cam Newton, walk away. But they did bring in Teddy Bridgewater, so it's going to be fun to see how these young studs mix together. McCaffrey in 2019 had 1,387 yards, averaging 4.8 per touch, 15 touchdowns, and 1,005 receiving yards overall. So it was a big season for him, and we can expect a lot more from this Panthers team coming up. They've been rebuilding, and they've brought new quarterbacks, one from the XFL actually, and we're going to see how this progresses and how this team looks to overcome teams like the New Orleans Saints, who are still powerhouses and are looking to get back into the playoffs and possibly make a Super Bowl run. The Atlanta Falcons are still rebounding, but this all plays into the division. But the top story is that Christian McCaffrey is the highest paid running back, and he will be coming back to Carolina and staying for the long term. More news after this. Welcome back to Sports Cube. I'm your host, Daniel Shalom, and today we have an extremely special guest. He joins us on the show, former Duke lacrosse player throughout college and additionally played for the Chesapeake Bayhawks, CJ Costabel. CJ, welcome to the show. Daniel, thank you very much for having me today. Really appreciate it. Yeah. So first off, CJ, how have you been staying busy during the quarantine and how has no sports been affecting you personally? Oof. Um... It's been tough to say the least. I mean, my life's really around around sports uh, growing up, uh, you know, and each, you know, and being active for that matter too, right? To be confined to, you know, one area, particularly your home. I mean, I'm fortunate enough where I went. So I live in New York City, went up to my parents' place in New Fairfield, Connecticut, which is about an hour and a half uh, north of the city. So a little bit more room up there, but um it's been certainly trying to say the least you know try to stay active try to stay in shape i'm still fortunate enough now where i still play uh for the um chesapeake bayhawks as you mentioned 
So, you know, obviously right now we don't have a definitive date as when the season's going to start, but, you know, one, obviously be most prepared for when that does come up. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's just really trying to be creative, honestly, at the end of the day, as far as you know, kind of maintaining your shape, keeping active, uh, you know, work also takes up a large portion of my day as well, but, uh, you need a little bit kind of escapes. Uh, so just trying to maintain and keep myself as fit as possible is probably one of my major escapes right now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're all just trying to stay fit and, uh, being, uh, active and everything. So clearly you were with the Duke for a while, uh, probably the most memorable, memorable moment of your college career was the national championship game. Duke versus Notre Dame. What was it like after all that grinding, sweat, blood, and tears of the season to win that face-off in overtime in the national championship? We're on the ball down the field and netted home for Duke's first national lacrosse championship. Well, paint a pretty uh, good picture there, Daniel. Um, listen, it, you know, the word I use is surreal. Um, you know, when I look back, you know, you look at lacrosse, it's a very interesting sport where, you know, in my view, the pinnacle of it all is the college level, right? Because you actually have to fully dedicate your life to it, right? As far as, you know, the guys you're with all day, you know, whether you're playing the actual sport, you're living with them, going to class, you know, going out, uh, you're really ingrained into it. And it's really your job, right? I mean, you're at your facilities for three, four, five hours a day, uh, and if you have to get treatment or see a trainer, you're going to be extended there. Uh, and, you know, when you play lacrosse, I mean, that's the moment, right, to have it that weekend, uh, Final Four weekend. And I remember growing up, you know, be, always wanted to be a part of that weekend. Like I started playing lacrosse in fourth grade. And mm-hmm. my family and I, we'd always take our family vacations Memorial Weekend to the Final Four, right? So went to, you know, m Bank in Baltimore, Went to Link when it was in in, uh, in Philadelphia, Gillette. Uh, you know, so you know you sit there and it's very interesting. I mean, you basically have this mecca moment, so to speak, where the lacrosse world just gravitates towards um, Final Four week in Memorial. And you know, you know, and I always remember like I wanted to be a part of that, and that was a big push of reason why going to Duke. And I mean, I was very fortunate when I went to Duke that. Ended up going to four Final Fours uh, when I was there with obviously my sophomore year being the one where we went to play Notre Dame at MT Bank Stadium. And, you know, I look at it from the season perspective and the grinds because, you know, what people obviously see is they see games, but they don't see the ups and downs along the season and the work that goes on into it. And when you play lacrosse at that level, it's really two seasons. You have your fall season and you have your spring season associated with it and it's a lot um, you know at Duke we used to get up at you know six seven o'clock in the morning train during the fall for a couple of hours you know you go you know on break for winter break and then come you know February you're fully into it uh, and you know there's a lot of up and downs along the way uh, that year I ended up actually breaking my ankle uh, sledding mm-hmm. so I had to uh, deal with that throughout the year and you know, the biggest thing is you don't want to let your teammates down. Uh, so played in, and then didn't really actually really start feeling healthy and kind of 100% till the end of the year, uh, probably till really the quarterfinals of that year. And, you know, what's very interesting about the lacrosse season is that, you know, you go and play in front of, call it, you know, 20, 30 people, 
you know, moms and dads in some games. And when you start playing your big ACC games, you're playing in, couple, in front of a couple of thousand. It's also in Final Four weekend. You get to play in front of 30,000, 50,000 people. It's very important. Yeah. Besides that, you also got to be on TV. ESPN's yeah, covering it. Absolutely. You know, so it's a, you know, it's a really cool. And, I mean, like I said, I, I keep saying this. It's the pinnacle of our sport to be able to play in front of that weekend. You know, the semifinal games are usually the most interesting where you have the two uh, Division One games on that Saturday. You know, obviously, I'm fortunate to have a great moment in the national championship game, but I'll definitely flat out say my favorite game that I've ever been participated in was when we played Virginia the Saturday before. It was really a spectator's game. I mean, it was a shootout. Uh, we ended up winning 14-13. But it just had every element of lacrosse you want. This very up-tempo, fast-paced, high-scoring game. And we were very fortunate to come out on top of that. And what's crazy, especially with the format in Final Four weekends, you obviously get Sunday off to kind of reset um, and you know, kind of heal your wounds as much as you possibly can. But come Monday, you got to turn around and do it again. And you know, the game was very different. Uh, from that perspective where you had this up-tempo run-and-gun game where also when we played Notre Dame, it was this very slower defensive battle struggles, you know, goalies making big saves. And, you know, I remember, I mean, you know, I, was, you know, I wasn't necessarily the starting face-off guy at the beginning of the year, had the opportunity to kind of step into that role down the uh, kind of, you know, towards the end of this journey, so to speak. And, you know, I just remember going in there just like, you want to do your job, right? You want to win the ball, get it to the team. And that was my objective throughout the whole game. And I remember going to overtime. I mean, we had the ball in the end of the fourth quarter, uh, a couple seconds left. And I just kind of like sat on the bench and basically got mentally prepared for what was next. And, you know, going into it, my whole thing was, listen, I'm just going to win this face off, get the ball for my team, let our offensive players do what they do and score a goal. And we're going to bring this, we we're going to bring the, uh, the the ship down to Durham, North Carolina. And, you know, the one thing is you always got to make sure when you go in these situations, especially, you know, under the lights, under the, under the stress, is that you've got to treat it like everything that you've done uh, historically, meaning that field dimensions don't change, uh, the rules don't change. You know, you got to kind of treat it like any other moment. And I remember just going in there, listen, just get the ball, and we're going to be fine. We're going to pull this through. And, you know, I remember all of a sudden going down for the faceoff. And, you know, what most people don't really realize is that the faceoff game is a team sport, meaning that it's really a three-on-three battle versus a one-on-one battle. And your wings are so important and vital in terms of boxing out and protecting the faceoff guy, especially if he wins that ground ball. And that's what I was very, very fortunate with where – you know, I was able to win the initial draw, uh, kind of pull it to my side and able to pick it up unscathed. And that was really due in large part to the guys on the right and left of me. And I remember as I was running down, you know, what's really cool is about the NFL stadiums is you have lines. So you have reference points and the goal sits on the 10 yard line. And then you have a, at the 20 yard line, you have um, the purple line. So basically you're 10 yards away. So you kind of have an idea of where you are. I remember I won the ball and I just remember started running and I'm looking like when, who's going to slide to me, who's going to come to me. And as I'm running down, I'm not really seeing anybody moving. I have like a whole clear lane 
Yeah, I mean, did you have? Did you really have any intention of shooting it in that situation? You know, I was kind of. You play the odds, right? So my the the thing is when you play, especially lacrosse, when you run a four on three, right? When you run down the field, your first reaction is usually to shoot. You is to shoot the ball. That's your first look. Some people get confused where you think you have to hit the point man as your first look. That's really your third option, right? Your second is kind of your skip pass. Uh, so my attackman on the right side of the gentleman is Zach Howell. I think Zach had over 50 points that year in terms of goals. Um, you know, my point attackman is Ned Crotty, who uh, ended up winning the torch in that year. And he had Max Panzani on the left side, who is a he was one goal away from 200 career goals. So you have a lot of prolific scores, and you know. As a guy running down, you know, your idea is basically to try to draw a guy, move it to those offensive guys, and let them do what they're supposed to do. Uh, you know, and I remember just running down, and all of a sudden, no one's sliding to me. So, especially when I hit that 12-yard mark, and then all of a sudden, as I hit that purple line where I knew I was inside 10 yards, this is fair game as far as shooting. And as a long pole, when you shoot the ball, you're taught to really shoot for corners or sides, because the worst thing in the world is when you pick up a ground ball, especially in the middle of the field, and you all of a sudden hit the goalie in the middle of the chest or hit him right in the stick, and you call it popcorn, and they turn it the other way, and now you got to get on your horse and chase them. You just don't want to do that, so you try to you know, aim for the top corner, so hopefully that either goes in, or if you don't hit the top corner, it's going to miss and go out of bounds. So I remember running down, keeping my stick in front of myself, and I remember just you know, kind of waiting for the opportunity. As soon as I crossed that kind of 10 yard mark, I remember just kind of throwing all my might into it kind of up high. And Scotty Rogers, who stood on his head that game, did a tremendous job. I mean, he kept, I firmly believe that he kept Notre Dame in that game. He made some unbelievable saves, especially with his legs. And, you know, Scotty's a big boy and the scouting report was shoot low on this guy. And his tree trunks of legs were just stopping balls left and right. But he knew we were going low on him. And I remember when I was coming down, you know, it's very difficult sometimes also to track a long pole stick um, because of how high it is. And it's just a different trajectory than what a lot of long uh, what, uh, goalies are used to. So I remember shooting. I just remember seeing him kind of go down low. And all of a sudden, you know, I didn't really kind of hear anything from the crowd. All of a sudden, I just look and I saw the back of the net move. And I just remember being like in kind of like, wait, really? Like, you know, did I see something? Is that actually happened? I saw the net move. And the first thing I heard was uh, Max Quinzani, uh, who's the left side attack man. So he's on my right. He screams, oh, my God. But his voice cracks like he just hit per uh, puberty, like he was 12 years old. And then I remember just then like hearing like the crowd uh, afterwards just come out and I was like, Oh my God. And he was the first person to hug. And the next thing you know, you know, Zach's in there, Ned's in there and everyone's kind of hugging each other. And the next thing you know, completely taken off, uh, hit the ground. And basically there's a freaking a dog pile that's ensuing on the field. And I remember like, you, you can't breathe. I'm getting crushed. And at the same time, it didn't matter. Um, it was one of those moments where I was just so happy and overcome with joy because of just how much goes into it. And, you know, you just sit there and you're just like, you're ecstatic. Cause again, this is what you're waiting for. This is what I've always wanted to do since I started playing the sport of lacrosse. Um, and then once everyone kind of, you know, you take notice of the guys who are jumping on the pile 
you know, after in the replay, but uh, it was pretty surreal. And then unfortunately I was able to kind of run over to my parents and kind of celebrate that moment. But, you know, it's just one of those things where you just, you know, you don't really see the amount of effort, the amount of work. I mean, not even just myself, but just my parents, my family giving up in terms of like going to lacrosse camps during the summer for our family vacations, lessons, playing on teams, God, camps, you know, I mean, and that's just outside of Duke, just the amount of work that went in at Duke. So it's just, you know, it's just, it's just really, really cool, really, really fortunate. And, you know, the fact that I was able to share it with, you know, my teammates and, you know, no one could ever take that away from us is really, you know, it's just, I don't know where, I don't know where it goes from there. I, I always tell people I picked my sophomore year in college. So, but very fortunate nonetheless. Yeah. I mean, that's a crazy story, no doubt. And it's a, it was a surreal way probably to end your sophomore year of college on that deep end. Yeah. Uh, what do you think is the biggest difference between college college lacrosse and uh, pro lacrosse? The speed of it. It's like any. It's honestly the levels as you get the speed and just how good guys are, uh, and guys' inability to make mistakes. The consistency of it. So guys are just very are very are be are very able to be very consistent at a very fast pace. Uh, and generally, more often than not, if you give a guy in the professional rankings a time in the room shot from, say, 12, 13 yards, that's going in. You know, where sometimes you, you know, the, you know, in the in the college rankings, we used to call it KYP, know your personnel. You know, sometimes you're going to let, you know, if a guy that can't really shoot outside of six, seven yards, you're going you're gonna to kind of dare him to pull up from 12, 13 yards. Whereas really in the pro ranks, you don't have a lot of those guys. Most of those guys can do that anyway. So you got to be a little bit more on top of your game. Uh, and the chance of those guys really making mistakes are few and far in between. Most definitely. To you yourself, who do you think is the most inspirational person for you on and off the field? Uh, I mean, my parents are number one as far as just my inspiration, right? I mean, my parents were the ones who sacrificed anything everything to allow me and my brother for that matter to pursue our goals, uh, especially in the sport of lacrosse. I mean, I remember growing up, I was, you know, throughout my life, I was able to play every sport under the sun, whether it was, you know, hockey, basketball, soccer, football, you know, I was playing baseball and then I got bored of baseball once kids started pitching. Uh, so I needed to find something uh, else new to do. Uh, not necessarily always the case for everyone, but that's just my personality. And um, I found lacrosse in third grade, and I loved it. And, you know, fear is something that I was decent at. And then kind of, you know, it took off from there. I mean, my idol growing up is from a sports perspective uh, was Wayne Gretzky, uh, the great one. Uh, I'll be give you untouched. I mean, the ability of him to make everyone better around him was unmatched. I mean, just by the fact that just – I mean, the records that he has that are probably unattainable uh, from points to assist uh, and just how he carried himself and his demeanor was exceptional and something I've always tried to aspire to do. Yeah, for sure. Um, what, uh, so what's, uh, well, so now you work at Morgan Stanley. Uh, what do you think is the, uh, what do you think about players' lives after playing at the pro level? Do they still have the uh, same level of stardom or uh, famousness to them? You know what? It's very interesting to say that. It's a great question. Uh, 
Daniel, because it's very different now. So I think, I mean, I graduated college back in 2012. And when I first started playing professional cross in the MLL, you know, you had a lot of young professionals in the league, meaning that guys were not full-time in the sport. Guys had a way of making a living outside of the sport that they loved. Um, mm-hmm. And they would be weekend warriors, right? Where, you know, you practice on a Friday night, you play on a Saturday, and that's really what your stick, that's really the only time you had your stick because most guys, you know, worked in New York, uh, you know, whether they worked in the financial industry, whether they, you know, lawyers, what have you will. Which cool though now is that you're finally starting to see where guys are able to make money full time in the sport that they love. And not from, you know, the salaries are not necessarily there yet uh, from a professional ranking, but the fact that you can be fully ingrained to the sport, right? Where you have guys who now can coach high school, they can coach college full time. uh, They can do, you know, run summer teams. uh, They can also do private lessons as income. You know, guys have their own uh, lessons and camps and clinics. So, it's really cool and that's going to be better for the sport because the product is going to ultimately be better because now guys are full-time in it. And I think you're seeing that growth uh, starting to take shape and it's, it's very, very exciting to say the least. Um, you know, so, I mean, again, I think that that's, what's going to really move the sport forward uh, by having those guys who are full-time in it continue uh, on moving the sport forward into more of a, being a more of a mainstream sport. Yeah, no doubt. I think commitment is a huge thing for that. Um, so what do you think about the Premier Lacrosse League and uh, Major League Lacrosse League crossover? Uh, listen, I mean, it's a very interesting situation to say the least. I think, right, you know, I don't think two leagues can survive. I think eventually there's going to be one. What's it going to be is going to be really, uh, you know, interesting to see. I mean, especially obviously with everything's going on today. Um, obviously, if both of the league is going to get delayed, you know, what does that season look like? How, how does that schedule play out? I mean, do you do a shortened season? Do you do double headers in the case of the MLL? Do you elongate it? Do you play out to October? Uh, so there's a lot of things that are up in the air. Um, you know, I think right now, uh, you know, for the outdoor game, to say the least, as far as what is going to, uh, you know, moving forward, what is that going to look like from a, I mean, not from both league's perspective and also from players' perspective. Yeah, it's an interesting topic, and we're just gonna have to see when everything comes back how it's gonna pan out. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's it like playing with many greats of the sport, such as the uh, Powell brothers and Paul Rabel? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's very cool. I mean, the amount of great lacrosse players that I've gotten to play with. It's kind of surreal to me. I mean, these guys that you you grow up idolizing, where you get to, you know, play with. Like, so like, I'm a very competitive person, and I remember one time. So, growing up playing the sport of lacrosse, you know, Casey Powell was the guy, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that he's able to still, I mean, still play professionally until a couple of years ago is pretty, pretty amazing. And again, I'm always very. The thing that always drove me about lacrosse too is I'm always very competitive, but you know, my biggest thing was always you want to just prove people wrong. And I always appreciated, you know, playing again, because again, I don't come from a perennial powerhouse in the sport of lacrosse. I come from, you know, this kind of middle Connecticut town, uh, 
that's I mean, 15,000 people. Uh, the only mm-hmm. one athlete that we had that actually went to our school is a woman by the name of Jen Rosati. Went to UConn and kind of led UConn to their first couple of uh, women's basketball uh, national championships. But outside mm-hmm. of her, there really hasn't been anyone kind of to play sports at an ultra high level. And my always thing was just I was one of the, I always wanted to play against the perennial powerhouses. So in Connecticut, your Wilkins, your Darians, your Greenwiches, your New Canaan's always loved playing people from Long Island. And I remember Casey Powell wanted to uh, he did like a did a lacrosse clinic at a uh, at a, a, a town well not far I mean forty five minutes away from me. And mm-hmm. I remember I wanted to I wanted to go against this guy so bad. And again, I was like I was probably like 10, 11 at the time yeah. I wanted to go, I wanted to, I wanted to play against him. He's like, Oh, we'll play. We'll go after, we'll go after. And we're about to like go. He's like, Oh, sorry. Like the, the, the fuel was being taken by some like soccer group afterwards. And I remember I couldn't, uh, so we, we never got to actually battle. I remember I got into the car and I was absolutely mad. I was like fighting back tears. Cause I was upset cause I wanted to, I wanted to feel against Casey Powell and, um, fast forward. God, <laughs> it's probably like 10, 15 years. I got to play against Casey uh, professionally in indoor. You know, I played against in the pros, but I remember one time I got to battle him one-on-one uh, in indoor lacrosse. And I remember I ended up, he ended up trying to spin, and I ended up catching him. I kind of buried him in the ground. And I remember coming up, uh, and my coach, this guy Tommy Hayek uh, at the time, goes to me like, "Oh, like you know who you just got, you know you just went went against? Like good job, but I'm like, yeah, I absolutely know who that is. So you know, it's funny how it kind of comes full circle in a way." Uh, you know, the sports is great in that sense because uh, it's a tight, tight knit community at the end of the day. Uh, you know, everyone's like super approachable. And I think that's very, you know, cool and unique. Uh, you know, there's not, you know, I look at all the great players out there. Uh, they're great players, but they're also great people. And I think that's something that's very unique to the sport. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something across all the ranks. Um, so it's, I think, you know, that's something that's pretty cool at the time. And uh, last question for you before we wrap up. Uh, what would you say to any up-and-coming lacrosse players out there? Yeah, I, my biggest thing I always tell people is that you got to play. Um, you know, I think a lot of people get very sucked into or custom, just doing like private lessons. Uh, the thing mm-hmm. that got, at least that I felt that got me to play at my best was that I was kind of a mercenary for hire. And any chance I got to perform or play with a team, whether it's my local team or even sometimes the town's next, you know, next over, I played because, you know, you know, so lacrosse is very more comparable to soccer, right? Where there's a lot of unique situations that are constantly, right? And you kind of got to be creative in certain different scenarios. And the only way you can really be creative is basically experiencing a lot of these different scenarios and figure out how you react to those things, right? Where football is very regiment, you know, there's very defined jobs. And as long as all 11 people are working on the same, you know, level and or this, have the same kind of direction, you're usually going to be successful in that way, right? There's not really a lot of thought that's associated with that. Or here with lacrosse, yeah. you have a lot of flexibility. Again, you can do private lessons, but, you know, at the same time is your mechanics could be great when no one's on your hands, right? You can have the perfect throw, but all of a sudden when you throw somebody in there or throw a wrinkle, and your, your shots off, then, you know, did you really get better? Uh, I mean, maybe you have a nice shot when your hands are free, but most of the time you don't, you're not going to have those opportunities. So uh, the thing is play. I mean, I, as a kid, I always had a stick in my hand uh, constantly. I mean, I used to remember like walking around my house where I had like a little fiddle stick and I would just like 
as I walked up my stairs, I would dodge corners of the wall or do like a face dodge or roll dodge just to kind of have the feel on the stick and have things become second nature. Yeah, of course. Uh, CJ, thanks for joining us today. We really, really appreciate uh, you having you being here with us. Thanks a lot, Daniel. Appreciate the time. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Welcome back to Sports Cube. Once again, we really appreciate CJ Costabel sitting down with us. He's really an inspiration to a lot of people out there, and it really meant a lot for him to come and sit down with us and talk to us today. On to, though, this day in sports, one of my favorite segments in our show. So today, of course, it, it was Master Sunday yesterday, or it would have been, but unfortunately, we're waiting until the fall to see that. So today, on April 13th, 1997, in Augusta, we're going back to Georgia, yes, 21-year-old Tiger Woods would win the 61st Golf Masters Tournament by a record 12 strokes. He'd finish 18 under par in the tournament, his first victory in one of golf's four major championships, and the greatest performance by a professional golfer in more than a century, and the youngest golfer to win the Masters ever. Of course, this would kick off Tiger's legacy, and he would for ever be engraved as one of the best golfers of all time. And he is clearly one of the best in our sport and will be for a long time since he won the Masters last year. And that is your This Day in Sports. Coming up, more of the show right after this. And before we close up the episode today, I just wanted to take a moment to uh, pay respects to Carl Anthony Towns' mom, the star center for the Minnesota Timberwolves mom passed away today after complications with the coronavirus. So it's very, very, it's a very sad story. Jacqueline Cruz, of course, Carl Anthony's town's mom beside him the entire time. Uh, it's just such a sad, sad thing to report. And this just shows that the coronavirus is not just affecting people around us that we know, but also celebrities and big names. But we just wanted to pay respects to him and his family and show that this that we are going to get through this, but it's going to take some time, and we have to band together as one to become better. Uh, anyways, though, that about wraps up today's show. So I hope you all enjoyed. I've been trying to deliver genuine content, but our interviews are just going to keep getting better. So, of course, if you know someone that wants to come on the show, feature any stories, hit us up on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're on all of those. Leave us an audio message. You can do that right here on Anchor if you're listening from there. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Drop a review of what you thought of the episode. And of course, till next time, peace out. 